0: Doing the best we can with Eddie Kaufoltz is about traversing life together. Every Thursday, Eddie shares what's on his diet, Dr. Thunder-fueled brain. Some weeks will be deep, some will be ridiculous, and some will be about his cat. But you can always count on being entertained and perhaps even a little inspired to reflect on your own journey. Some noteworthy episodes that you might want to listen to. The keynote party with Debbie, Emily, and Elise. Showing up and let's be honest. Be the
1: bridge, be the bridge. Be the bridge. You are listening to the Be the Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. I think
0: that's good.
1: Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding.
0: But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love.
1: We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end.
0: Well, Be The Bridge community, we have a special treat for you today. You may recognize her voice, you may recognize her face, but some of you who li- listen on podcasts, you won't see her face. But if you turn tune into our YouTube, you may see her face. But we have none other, the Faith Brooks, with us today. And so, if you're not familiar with Faith, um, Faith was at one point she was on staff with Be the Bridge. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about who Faith is, and we're going to jump right in. Faith Brooks is a writer, speaker, social worker, activist, and the co-host of the podcast Melanated Faith. Um, As an activist, she engages with nonprofits to find sustainable solutions to systemic issues. In addition to acting as a, a strategist and consultant for brands and influencers, her nonprofit work has included serving as director of programs and innovation for the Fabulous Be the Bridge. You know, I had to throw that in there. And as the director of a Women's Empowerment for Legacy Collective. Faith is passionate about leveraging her speaking and social media platforms to um, 11 um, um, collective liberation centered on the sisterhood of Black women. So,
2: Faith, how are you doing? I'm doing good, you know? Let the community
0: hear your voice. Hi, community. How's it going? (laughs) So Faith, okay. So since this, so those of you who don't know, Faith has since moved to the DMV area. Tell us a little bit what has been going on in your life um, since moving from Atlanta to um, DMV. Give us an update on all the things.
2: All the things. There's a lot yeah. of life that has happened in a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more now. I don't know. Um,
0: I can't tell you. I couldn't tell you.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm i all my years hit, are running together. Exactly. Once <laughs> we hit 2023, I'm like, I don't know the dates anymore. Um, I <laughs> so I got married in mm-hmm. December of 2021. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest changes. And um, So I moved, I moved to the Maryland area in May of 2021 and I lived with my brother and his family for a while and that was a lot of fun. And then at the end of the year, um, around the year, year or so of us dating, my husband proposed to me in like the most romantic way.
1: Uh Um...
2: He proposed to me at Chateau Alan. If you live in Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know where that is. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just such a beautiful weekend. He had everything planned to a T. Um, and if you get to know my husband one day, then you would know that he is a planner, and he loves planning big surprises. That's just who he is. So. If you tell you make,
0: like big surprises,
2: so that's. I good. love it. I love big surprises. Uh-huh. It worked out. It worked out. <laughs> that's good. So, um, so yeah, he planned that, and um, we decided to elope, and that was, you know, the best decision we ever made. Uh, we we're so glad we did. And then a month later, we got a puppy, and. <laughs> It was probably the most wild thing that we did right after being newlyweds. Um, when I look back on it, we could have he he wanted to wait, but I was like, "No, I just have to have this dog." I saw this girl post a picture of him, and I just felt like he was meant for me. Like right? I need him, and so I convinced my husband to get on a plane with me and fly to Dallas to get this dog.
0: Oh my god!
2: And we flew to Dallas. We got the dog, and. Marcel was so stressed. Like, how are we going to get this dog home? Like, oh my God. Um, and so we ended up getting medicine from the vet that was approved. Uh-huh. And it basically knocked him out. It put him to sleep okay. for a little okay. while for the okay. whole plane ride. And oh then we brought him home. So, hey, what's the dog's name? Tell everyone the dog. His name dead. is Kobe. So, she's a, she's a dog mom. Kobe. I'm now a dog mom. I talked so much smack to Tasha when she got her dog. I was like, <laughs> exactly. You're crazy. <laughs> Why are you doing all this stuff for this dog? What in the world? I don't understand. And I have to eat all my words. Yeah, I know now.
0: I have to eat all my words. She sent me pictures of him with his little sweater on.
2: Terrible. I've (laughs) become them.
0: Kobe is like 60 60 pounds, right? Yeah, Yeah, he's
2: big. But you've become
0: one of those people. I have. I'm telling you. And that's the thing, like, I be I I used to pick at other people and laugh at other people, and now with Chala, it's like it's just terrible. It's just it's just really terrible. Like it I is. just yeah I um you know he has a bed. Chala has a bed and he sleeps in his bed. But then sometimes Chala wants to just jump in my bed, and uh-huh. I just I came out in the bathroom and I looked and he was just curled all up in my bed <laughs> like it was his bed, and I'm like. <laughs> Find your place, like yeah. in the world? It's just like yeah. So dogs, I'm telling you, dogs they they bring you so much joy though. Mm-hmm. I, and I see what people say. There, there. They, I don't care where you go. Like if I just go outside and come back in, he's so happy to see you. You're like just yeah. so happy to see you. And so they bring a lot of joy. So I can see how you know they are so good for like trauma and just for just healing and grief just I, my dog came at the right time so i know your dog is giving you lots and lots of, of love but you see your little your i got a little dog you got a big dog there's, a big, a, big between, dog? <laughs> there's a big difference between little poop and big poop <laughs> So how are you doing Faith? with that? But I know you.
2: (laughs) There are things called these little, there's these little scoopers. Okay. Where like you, you don't have to touch it. Okay.
0: Oh, I need that.
2: Yeah. And there, it's like, you can, you can just clamp it. It's like with your hand and you don't even have to touch the poop. Yeah. I had to, once it got too big, I I was like, I can't do it anymore. I had to really let that go.
0: Okay. Yeah. Leave it to Faith and Tasha to talk about all things poop on the uh, on the podcast. But you know, people want to know and everybody's going to write in and say, what are the things that you got that clamps down that you don't have to touch it? Yeah, because exactly. that is something we all need to know. So I'll have to
2: find it. Another lady from my neighborhood walked up to me and said, what is that? Where did you get it? Because I need it. I know.
0: It. <laughs> I know. Because it
2: grosses me out still. It oh, still yeah.
0: grosses me out. So yeah. But he's he's... Charles doing a little better with his barking, so you you he he really got bad. Like you probably haven't seen him, you haven't seen him in a long time, mm-hmm. but he got really barky for a period. So we've done some things to kind of curve it, training and all the things. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So Faith wrote a book. I did. <laughs> you wrote a whole entire book, and the book is called "Remember Me Now." and um just just you know just knowing a little bit about your 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 background um you know one of the things that the the book talks about is um the wholeness of wellness as a black woman um we're often pr- praised for our um, strength and resilience um but you know but you say in your book that you want people to know that that the stereotype doesn't have to to define them. So, you know, we're not always full of strength. Um, you know, we're not always resilient. Tell, tell the audience about that. Because I think a lot of times when people say that, um, they're like, Oh my goodness, as a black woman, you're so strong. You're so resilient. Um, yes, that's true. But when you're, when you're feeling the opposite of that in times and sometimes you don't want to be strong, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I just remember, um, when I was going through, uh, you know, just the, the death of my dad. And I, I remember one of my aunts said, i like, be strong, be strong. You know, when I was crying and I'm like, I don't want to be strong, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. you know? and I don't want to be strong. I, I want to lean into this. Like I need to lean in this because it's going to help me be better on the other side of that. So explain, you know, why you write about that.
2: Yeah. I think oftentimes like, there's a lot of well, um, you know, intention behind saying, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like strong Black women. Mm-hmm. and um, But I think it takes like an element of our humanity away um, mm-hmm. because we're not strong always and we don't have to mm-hmm. be strong always. Right, right. And it doesn't give us space or room to be able to tap into our own vulnerability. Not only that, like subliminally for us, we can begin trying to live up to trying to be a strong black woman, trying to live up to that Mm -hmm. trope. Versus giving us, you know, ourselves like space to heal and space to feel and let, you know, ourselves cry like you were talking about when we need to Mm -hmm. let ourselves be vulnerable because we aren't going to be strong all the time. And Mm -hmm. we don't need to be because in order to move through pain, in order to move through hard times, we need to make room for softness and we need Mm -hmm. to make space for, um, our hearts to have a safe place to land. And that isn't always, the first default isn't always strength.
0: Right, right, right. I know um, this is, you know, I'm going to take us back a little bit. We met in, um, I want to say 2014 or maybe 2015, there, 2015. 2015 maybe? 2015. Yeah, 2015. It was 2015. And uh, we were at a conference. And um, a mutual friend um, introduced us to to one another. And I just never forget, I think we were in a staircase. And I always describe what you had on because you were walking in these big old platform shoes.
2: <laughs> Ooh, I had 24-year-old knees, down? okay? Exactly. <laughs> these knees ain't exactly.
0: the same anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right? And people tell you that. But... My stepmom used to tell me, she's like, get, uh, have fun with those shoes down because you ain't going to be able to wear them later. And I used to laugh about that now. But how you doing with those shoes, Faye? (laughs) They're nowhere to be found. They're retired. They're (laughs) retired, right? They're retired. (laughs) And um, you said, I need to know you. But it was something about that. You know, we both lived in Austin at the time. And you know, and people hear me talk about Austin. I just want want people to know, first of all, I loved living in Austin. I really did. Even with all the challenges. Austin is a beautiful city. Um, I love the outdoor environment. Um, it was just very different from what I was used to, but different isn't always bad. It was just very different. And, and you know, when you come from an environment that I have, had come from being in Atlanta, it was a culture shock for me. And so people hear, you know, sometimes they say, oh, I know you didn't like Austin. I'm like, wait a minute, I need to be correct. Like I did love Austin. I didn't like all the things about Austin, but I I really consider Austin like a second home. I love going back there and I met some of the nicest people. I, um, this is where Be the Bridge started. I mean, some, you know, just where every, I was able to do and be, um, everything God had placed in me to do, you know, during that season. And so, um, just saying that. So you were one of those people who you grew up in, um, Houston, right. Mm -hmm. And you were, uh, we met in, um, in Austin, but you had similar, similar, um, a similar story as far as like the environments that we were in. Austin is, um, predominantly uh, white, you know? And so why were you so excited at that moment? (laughs) <laughs> Why were you so excited <laughs> in that moment, Faith? You know, when you saw another um, brown girl, you were like, oh my goodness, no.
2: <laughs> I could, you know, this was new for me being raised in Houston um, yeah. to go to Austin. I had been one of the only in many predominantly white environments. Yeah. So that wasn't new to me. However, what I was not prepared for. Um, living in South Austin was that I could go a week and maybe see one Black person or no Black people. And I mm-hmm. was shocked. Um, I was like, what did I do? <laughs> I've made a mistake. Um, but uh, I, I, like you, I loved Austin. I met so yeah. many good friends there that I'm still friends with to this day. I feel like I was really able to create community but it was so hard for me not having diversity. So when I saw you, I was like, "Oh my gosh, there's another one of us in this place. I might be able to just hang on a little longer."
0: <laughs> right, right, right. And one, and one thing about being in Austin, like um, you would go to—I um, was a part of this, this, this group called the Black Austinites, and this was just a, a place where black people can meet up and get to know one another because when there's so few of you in the city, you would go a week like they've said and not see anyone. And it was that thing when you know the when you're in a store and that awkward thing when you see another person, you're like, hey, <laughs> the awkward like, hey. see me. I mean, I have <laughs> randomly gone gone up to people at, you know, the ice cream shop and, you know, and they're just thinking the same thing, like, oh my God, you live here? Where do you live? You know? Right. (laughs) Like one of those. And if you haven't been in that experience, like I know, like we're talking from experience, but if you haven't lived that type of experience, it's probably hard to imagine, but just imagine those of you who are listening, if you're in a community and it's, you know, let's say it's all white people, I mean excuse me all all brown people and there's no other white people and you would go weeks without without seeing another white person you can't even imagine that and if if that was the case and you saw another white person after you hadn't seen another white person in like 2 weeks what would you do <laughs> <laughs> You're <know? laughs> you gonna be glad to see that person that you know. You feel that you identify. You have some similarities with, and so mm-hmm. that was just that story of 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 Austin. Uh, but you talk about um, just just that first generation of suburban black girl growing up. Um, you spent a lot of time and and within predominantly white spaces. Tell us a little bit about that and how that has shaped you into the person that you are today.
2: So when I was younger, my brother and I were homeschooled, which was very rare for Black kids to be homeschooled back then. Um, there's more. So we do that too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot more Black people homeschooling mm-hmm. their kids these days. So it's not nearly as like taboo as it was back then. Right. But we were, you know, my grandparents were kind of nervous. My parents had already made the move to the South after You know, my family was a part of the great migration, my um, great grandparents. And so for us to go back to the South, they were kind of like, what are y'all doing? (laughs) You know, to my parents, and you're going to homeschool those kids. So um, we ended up, because of that, though, um, we ended up being in a lot of predominantly white spaces. And that really impacted, you know, my identity, even though we were in Mm -hmm. black churches and things like that. I oftentimes felt like I was trying to keep up with these white girls and how they were looked at and accepted. And they're, you know, especially when you look at media and, um, you know, content that, you know, you see out there usually is not geared towards, um, seeing other young black girls. So I was really trying to find myself at that time and wondering like, Where do I fit in in all of this? And so I spent my younger years trying to find my way to fit in. Um, Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that I felt like gave me a little bit of this kind of like identity crisis. And it wasn't until I got older and I I went to college and kind of had my own experiences, once again, being one of the only um, in the room. (laughs) It, um, It gave me the courage, though, that I needed to accept myself and to love myself as I was um, mm-hmm. without trying to feel like I needed to, you know, fit in with anybody. But that was a journey for me. You know, it didn't happen right. instantly. Like it was a journey.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know you talk about um, just your, your college experience. I've heard some of that story and, you know, what advice would you give? You know, I was um, just at a wedding um, a few weeks ago and um one of my, um, uh, one of the young ladies that's involved uh, that was a part of the wedding party, uh, she goes to a predominantly um, PWI and she is involved in the Christian organization there. And she was just talking about how she's the only one. And I mean, it just set off all types of alarms for me because um, I was really concerned. You know, and um, because I know where that can lead, I know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even the trauma. Um, You know, I'm glad she's involved in a Christian organization, but I do understand sometimes that means losing a part of yourself. Uh, What was some of that, you know, for your story? What what advice would you give to someone like her, who's in those environments now, and um, they're not fully, they can't fully be themselves, or you know are they you know what advice would you give what what advice would you give to someone in that environment now
2: i would tell them it would be really mm-hmm. good for them to find a space where they can be fully themselves
0: yeah
2: and where they have other people around them that um, also look like them. It doesn't mean everybody has to look like you, but it is um you you lose so much of yourself when uh-huh. you're the only because whether you're trying to or not, you're going to be assimilating. you're yeah. going to be letting go pieces of yourself, just trying to keep up in the environment. Um, and a lot of it is um, it's like in our subconscious, but it happens. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Um, I would say be somewhere where you can show up freely. Because otherwise you'll have to unlearn um, you know, the things that you've done to kind of suppress your personality, suppress your voice, or even temper it, right? To kind of fit in. And one of the things that I, I see people do and, and I you know, want them to kind of step out of is feeling like you have to temper your voice in order to be in these environments. You should be able to show up fully as yourself. Um, as a Black Christian in the space you want to be in and be accepted fully for your voice as it is um, without editing. And there's a lot of editing you have to do um, in -hmm. those spaces sometimes.
0: Yeah, even as it relates to, um, you you know, you talk about the assimilation part and, um, you know, that's something that you um, have had to pick up the pieces with. You know, Um, I think you mentioned... um, you know, being often called the white black girl. What does that even mean? Like, you know, like what, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I've heard it before and I remember being highly offended by it. Um, and the person thought they were giving me a compliment and I'm like, that's not a compliment. Like, you know, um, and so, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you've had to deal with as it relates to, um, I guess you would say shedding that because, like, first of all, we're not monolithic, and so you know, you you are your own person and how you show up um, in these environments. But <clears throat> you know, being called the white, black, or what what does that mean? And, and it's not just, I mean, and I see even people of color do that. I, I've had people. And my family say that to me, and you know, because you say things a certain way or because you shop at a certain store or because you eat a certain thing, you know, they, they say that. Like we kind of box um, blackness in mm. and anything outside of that peripheral is considered other, you know, in that. Um, how have you dealt with that?
2: Yeah. So when I was younger and I was called a black uh, white girl or they would they would call me like um, an Oreo um, black on the white uh, outside, white on the inside. And um, I was trying to fit in so much that I was like, okay, like I was accepting of it. I was mm. happy about it. I was like, I'm fitting in. And this is what I'm talking about, you know? So I'm saying, <laughs> right, right. girl, leave because yeah. you'll have, <laughs> you have to undo what I had to undo. Right. You know, you have right. to right. detangle yourself from that, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I had to ask myself, you know, why I wanted to be accepted, why I was okay with myself being called a, you know, a black white girl growing up. What did that mean to me? Why was I, you know, happy about that proximity uh, to whiteness Mm -hmm. in the way where I was Mm -hmm. trading myself, trading my my identity Mm -hmm. and all of those things. So first I had to dig deep and start there. And that happened in college. That was like where that process was really beginning for me. And, um... The other thing I would say is that I I had to really begin the journey of understanding that I was I was okay as I was as a Black girl. You know, there were Black people who also told me, you're like a Black, white girl because of the way you talk. Mm-hmm. And um, the truth is, my mom just, she didn't let me talk slang. So, you know, <laughs> we were going to get in trouble if we did. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, this is just kind of like what she... Um, How she taught me how to speak. 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 How she taught me
0: how to speak. If you've been enjoying and learning from the Be The Bridge podcast, we invite you to join us in this work. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurring partner at bethebridge.com forward slash give. You can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel so if you haven't gotten your be the bridge hat sweatshirt all of the things let's take the message to the street visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that be the bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our polls. Those of you who are giving to this work, um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, so join us at bethebridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much. And if you've ever met Faith's mom, who is uh, beautiful inside and out, you would know exactly what she's talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just just you know, and you know, and this is the thing, Faith. And I, I know, like, we we I'm trying to be careful here, you know, in how I say this, but I'm just going to be real on this podcast, you guys. Let's be real. Like when I when I was talking to this young lady, I wanted to say, "Get out!" <laughs> like do get away like you need to go far far away from it because i can see this 10 years from now what she's gonna have to really deconstruct it it, 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 untangle herself Mm -hmm. and you can see it sometimes wearing on their um on their um um Just, just, just heavy on her in a sense, and on her, um, her on her confidence and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, and so my the real thing I want to say is no, you need to find you a group of people you know, that is going to accept you for who you are, you know, like, you know, this way is not the only way as it relates to Christianity, you know, like, you know, like, you know, find a more, um, try to find a more diverse group. And if that group is not really trying to be diverse, you have to ask what, you know, why? And I bet you, I I would like to know, like, in your, you know, when you were trying to detangle all of this, um, did you lose a lot of friends in the midst of that?
2: Oh, yeah. I did lose friends. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can tell you that through all of high school and then my early 20s, I had more white friends than I did black mm-hmm. friends. And, you know, now I'm in my 30s, I have more black friends than I do white friends. Most of those mm-hmm. people that I would say I consider to be super close to or the best of friends, we really aren't friends in the same way. Those friendships are mm-hmm. more like, we're associated or we see each other on social media, but we don't really talk much.
0: Mm-hmm. There's so many things that you hit on in your book. And, um, you talk about, um, you know, the, the community of sisterhood as it relates to black women. And, um, that's so important, you know, and, and, in our relationships with one another. And, um, you know, and how you can find courage and freedom in that. But you also talk about uh, the purity culture and overcoming the language of shame, the shame of your past doesn't have to hold um, hostage. Um, Like, I mean, growing up, I know, and in church, like when you talk about, you know, the, the purity culture, what was that like for you, you know?
2: Yeah, so we used to have this, uh, you know, in church and, you know, in youth group. I know, like, youth groups were more popular, like, back then in the way they're not as much today. But um, But in youth group, they used to, you know, do the whole, like, you know, don't have sex before marriage. And then, especially for the girls, they would do this example where they would take a flower and have everybody take a petal off of it and pass it down the row. And then they would say um oh, oh. you think it <laughs> i i there have a lot going on right now um
0: <laughs> just go ahead and repeat back what you were saying
2: okay <laughs> so um they would tell you to take a flower they would pass it down the row and everybody would pick off a petal and at the end whoever had the flower at the end they would say hold it up what's there nothing you know why because they gave themselves away. And so if you are just out there having sex, you're going to have nothing to give to your husband. Oh my god. Like traumatizing. Um so, I mean, and But they it, never did this for the men, right? No. I mean, they might have been on the road, but they're picking the flower petal off and anyway. Um but <laughs> that's
0: a whole other podcast right there cuz I have who I whoo. Yeah, we did the same thing. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? I am just, you know, I am, I'm personally offended by that example <laughs> and many others that occurred, um, that happened where they were essentially saying, you know, like you, um, your value is is your your virginity is kind of like indicative of your value as a woman and your your value to someone and your your value to have a good relationship one day. Yeah. And um man, that's so unhealthy. Yeah. I I spent so many years trying to detangle myself from that line of thinking mm-hmm. because I I began to like idolize trying to, you know, idolize marriage, trying to be this, you know perfect person when it came to, you know, being a virgin and just all this stuff, it's just makes it so complicated. And not Mm -hmm. only that, it was another mindset, you know, thing, because when I was one of the only in those spaces as a black girl, I also was not being looked at as somebody to date Mm -hmm. or bring home they were not trying Mm -hmm. to take me anywhere. It was like, this is my friend, or I might flirt with you, but I could never take you home to meet my family. And that just Mm. really did a number on my self-esteem as well. Mm. And so Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, I just think the way that we talk about these things, especially within church has to change because the language of shame is not empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually really damaging
1: yeah
0: that's good.. um uh, what is the message that you would want uh, readers to take away from your book? What is that message that you would want if someone is saying, hmm, remember me now what 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 is she trying to communicate in this book? what 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 is the message the what message you would want someone to take away from?
2: I would really want people to take away from the book that healing is possible. Healing and wholeness is possible. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what happens in your life, where you feel like you've, um, you know, what you've gone through or you've been through, the things that maybe have happened to you, um, that healing is possible and that you can love yourself and you can find Mm -hmm. freedom. And if you feel like you've lost yourself, you can rebuild Mm -hmm. your life again. And... Mm -hmm. Um, I want people to feel empowered, you know, listening to you talk about uh-huh. that girl reminds me so much, you know, of myself. And it's like, I want her to be, be like, girl, listen, there is, there is hope. There is change. Yeah. You can do something different. <laughs> you can write a new yeah. story. You don't even have to detangle, you know, free yourselves. Yeah. Um, right, <laughs> so right, right. Um, I hope people find confidence in themselves. And if you're If you are a Black woman, I especially hope that you see the beauty in who you are and, you know, our culture and heritage and um, just how special you are. I spent so many years unsure of myself Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. having that reassurance and that sense of confidence that I do now, um, it would have been so nice to have experienced that sooner. So I hope people find hope and peace when they read the book.
0: Yeah, I was watching on the, it was on one of the social media platforms yesterday. There was this woman, it was kind of comedy because she had the story all wrong, but it was like, she she was talking, she was in a subway station and she was like, you know, things are just wild out here. She said, but I'm so proud of these black men. And then she was like, look at him right here. They're standing, uh, basically someone had attacked a black woman. Mm-hmm. And the um, security was there, but they were waiting for the police to get there. So there were like some um, um, some security and martyr, some martyr security. And so they weren't letting him leave, mm-hmm. you know. And then there was like five or six b- Black men in the subway station posted
1: mm-hmm. around.
0: One was by the Black woman. And then there was, you know, some other ones that were posted around. And they were just standing there and they wouldn't let him leave. And she didn't know which one it was. She just like, and they got all these black men. Like, but she was, she was like, she was really happy. She was excited because she liked how the black men were sticking up for the black woman. And the the, the other person who you know, the person who had attacked her was a black man also. Mm-hmm. And um and so then you see, um, she said, "Oh, here comes the you know the police are arrive." And then you know everybody start clapping, and then you know they they go over there to make sure she's okay, and then they kind of leave. But you see all these men, even some of the one that she thought was the perpetrator was actually one of the ones that was- making sure the other guy wasn't leaving and i and I was like, wow, like the the part that she took notice of was the other black man standing up for the black woman, and I know." in our society, there's, there are some tensions with that, you know? And one of the things you're talking about, you say, um, um, what black men and non-black readers, um, can do to be better allies for black women. And you included, you didn't just say non-black readers and listeners, you said black men. Why did you say black? Why did you include black men in that?
2: Because I think that um, I want to encourage our brothers to pull up for us in the ways that we pull up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, black women, we will, we will ride for Black men. We will stand mm-hmm. up. We will start movements. We will protest. You mm-hmm. know, there is so much that we do um, to protect and advocate for our brothers. And sometimes you don't get that same sense um, of protection and advocacy mm-hmm. and um, affirmation even, if you will, from our um, black brothers. And I think it is important for them to not only see us, but also give us our flowers. And um mm. I think that it's just really an important part and something that I feel like is something we have to name within our community and um, call our brothers in, you know, call them in to really see us and um, show up for us in the ways that um, in the same ways that we show up for them.
0: Yeah. The patriarchy is real, you know, especially within the the Christian space, you know, especially, you know, (laughs) within, um, you know, within Black men. And I, and we see it, you know, even throughout the civil rights movement where there was a lot of the orchestrating and the strategies that were developed by Black women like Diane Nash and many others um, that are not mentioned. We didn't know about some of those women until um, Ava DuVernay, du, DuVernay um, actually did the movie Selma. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, um oh my goodness, Dorothy, Like, oh, she, there was a woman that got, also got, you know, beat up on the bridge too. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like on Bloody Sunday, like we had no idea because our stories have been hidden mm-hmm. um, um, in, in many ways. And we see that in the movie Hidden Figures, you know, and, and just throughout history. Um, but it doesn't mean, you know, it's not necessarily always have been white men, but it also have been black men. And so it's, it's like your responsibility, you know, as a man, as a black man to give women their credit, you know, That's right. um, to, to lift women up and to, to affirm that because, you know, w- without a woman, you know, uh, y- you wouldn't be here, <laughs> 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 you know, many of you have, you know, you have moms, you have grandmothers, you have aunties, you know, all of those things, you're surrounded by women. And, you know, and I think you can see what she, it wasn't so much as what had happened, this woman being attacked, by this man, but for, for these black men to, to pause and like, we're not getting on any train until someone comes and arrest this guy and we're going to protect this woman. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, and that, that right there spoke a lot, even watching this, you know, um, it spoke a lot. And I, you know, and I, I like it even when people that are in the same work, you know, When, you know, you can be excluded, you know, as a woman in this space, you can be excluded a lot and are either only called on when, because you are a woman and you represent a certain demographic. Mm -hmm. And so we get that, but I like how you include that and, and, and telling people to unpack their own own balances, uh, own biases and, um, to practice humility and to, um, Educate themselves, you know, um, these o- systems and how sometimes the systems can pit us against each other. And that's, yeah. that's really important, you know? And so, um, and, and as we get to the end, um, you, I want to talk about, um, there's this, um, show that you were on. <laughs> Good morning, America. How was that experience? Um, Did you get to share what you wanted within the interview? I didn't get a chance to um, look at the interview, but I saw you getting prepped for it. I didn't find out about it until uh, much later. But um, how was that experience? And um, did you get an opportunity to share what you wanted to
2: in the interview? it was amazing it was so much uh-huh. fun and um it felt really cool to have my brother and my husband there with me uh-huh. they they are just you know they're just fun guys they really relax so uh-huh. it worked out really well to have them there and um it was just such a blast the people were so kind and um i feel like i did get to share what i wanted to it was very quick um, <laughs> it was like you know a three minute um, Um, When I sat down, I thought I was going to have like just a minute to catch my breath, Um, but I did not have that. Um, I sat down and they said hi really quickly and um, they even diverted a little bit um, and went off script from what I thought they might ask me. Uh And I was like, oh. Okay. We're changing. Um, we're changing course here. And I had to think on my feet, but that was okay. Um, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> but it was good. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, I was really grateful to get to do that and have my family with me. So it was really special. Yeah.
0: And I know you like New York. I like, uh, you know, that's like one of my favorite places. So yes, anytime yes. there's an excuse to go there, I, I love going there. So um, in your book, um, you you d- make a dedication. Um to your mother, your grandmother and the ancestors um who survived so you could soar. Um, you know, what does that mean for you to have words written down? I know this is something you started with your grandmother earlier on. Um, you know, if if she was here today, what what do you think she would say to you? Oh,
2: ma'am. That just makes me cry just thinking about it. I think she'd know. be so proud. Um, she would yeah. She would just be so proud. I am just so grateful. It just means a mm-hmm. lot to me. I I really have been formed and loved by black mm-hmm. women and, um, and I have been loved so well, whether that's been like my mom and my grandmothers, my aunties, my mom's friends, black women that in my life that have been mentors to me, you know, um, There's just been so many people, you know, um, people like you, people that I've just known for Mm -hmm. such a long time that Mm -hmm. have believed in me and loved me well. And so it just, it means a lot to me to be able to Mm -hmm. have words on paper, words that honor Mm -hmm. my grandparents and and their life and their legacy and my family. It's just very special. I'll always want to honor my elders and I'll always want to honor the Black women in my life.
0: Yeah, you have been surrounded by um, such strong, gifted, praying women. Um, you know, I've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with your mom. She was my walking partner during the pandemic. <laughs> and so and so uh, we we got each other through the pandemic, all of us, you know. Um, but you, you know, a lot of people are not as, as fortunate, you know, and you, you just have a, a beautiful tapestry of just, um, ancestors cheering you on that I know that are very incredibly proud of you. Um, I am proud of you and um, so glad to know you. And I, what are some things? Um, um, what are some things that is, you know, within there's so much happening in our world. Like, you know, there's some, a lot of beauty happening. Um, there's a lot of, um, um, uh, um good things happening but there's also this sense that I'm trying to put words to right now that I feel um there's like a a disengagement you know in a sense where um I feel like we're like we're um we're leaning into um the past a lot where we're allowing um things from the past Um, to continue to take root, you know, and this is like this disengagement. And so that I know right now that's bringing me deep sorrow because you see um, how silence can perpetuate that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, more and more. Uh, What are some things that are um, bringing you sorrow um, that are causing you to lament during this time?
2: I would say some of the things that you mentioned in terms of feeling Mm -hmm. like we're going backwards um, mm-hmm. the ways that, you know, especially if you're doing any type of activism work or work of educating, um, when it comes to racism, it's really, it was already controversial, but it's even more controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, I would mm-hmm. also say, you know, I feel a concern and the sadness by the ways that I think that, We aren't seeing one another um, in a way that honors each other's humanity these days. Right. And I think with, you know, the online climate, it feels like we're very disconnected and disengaged from each other. Mm -hmm. And we've created these silos um, digitally, Mm -hmm. and they're so stark and extreme that it's almost feeling um, harder to get together in person with people, Uh um, that might be, you know, different from us simply because it's almost like the dividing lines are there. The algorithms are going to feed you content that you like. And, um, it's not the same as interacting in person and having to interact with somebody who might have a different thought than you or a different opinion. People are losing the art of being able to agree to disagree on things. Um, there's just a lot of different things happening that makes me sad. It makes me feel like, um, man, we uh, the next generation, we we got to, you know, I hope they're prayed up. I hope they're ready. You know, I really believe in them. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot that they will have to undo, unfortunately, because it seems yeah. like we're becoming more divided.
0: Yeah. It's like the double it down, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and the um, ignoring... Of, of, facts. Uh, and then the, there's a group that kind of sees and understands, but then they're like, well, we're just going to focus on this. And, and it, it re- I recall, you know, when we hear people that grew up in the fifties and the forties and the sixties, or, um, you know, even before then, um, sometimes when I meet white people that grew up in those eras, they would say, um, you know, I didn't know this was happening. Mm-hmm. I had no idea this was happening. So you're wondering like, okay, they, maybe they didn't have TV. They didn't have social media, but yeah. it was because there was a choice that was made to be, to be in your homogenous groups or silenced. um or ignore what was really happening in the pain and the marginalization right. of people where you the, uh, um your head because you didn't want to deal with it and you say, let's focus over here. And so if you think about all the things that were happening as it relates to the movement of the church during those times in the, right. the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, like, but were you doing the work of justice? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, were, were were you taking care of the needs of of the other? Were you caring about your all your neighbors? You know. Um, but yeah, you were you were building this amazing youth ministry. Um, but look look of the youth that were were in it, and some I'm, I'm, it's like I'm seeing a repeat of that, mm-hmm. like um, of that blueprint. Even today, all these things are happening. And people are like, turn this other way. And it's like not seeing the whole landscape and, and, you know, and it's not that we have to focus on one or the other. It's like, we have to focus on the whole, you know, um, of what's happening. So, um, yeah, that's, 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 that's something I think that we continually have to be a voice for. And that's what, why, um, you know, King, the letters to, um, you know, it, the letter to the, uh, he wrote in the Birmingham jail, like, you know, to the Christian moderate, you know, that's, mm-hmm. it was like, wake up, you know, of yeah. um, all, you know, the, I have a dream, wake up. Everything was a wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, you know. And I think it's like we almost have to be those prophetic voices, even in this time, you know, and that, that makes, that gets, because we're smarter now than we were then, I feel like, but are we? You know, and um, so what are some things that's bringing you hope, though, you know, what are some things that's bringing you hope um, during this season?
2: Well, like I mentioned before, the next generation, they bring me great hope because they're, mm-hmm. they're very focused they're very mm-hmm. engaged and they really like care yeah. about people. I yeah. mean, these are the kids that everybody got a trophy, even if, you know, their their <laughs> team didn't win. You know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> and um, what I love about them is that they want everyone to be included. And I love that. I love yeah. that. I feel like they really see people. So that brings me great hope. The other thing that brings me... Um, Great Hope is just seeing the Black community in the arts space flourish. Mm, And um, there's so many good, like so much good content, writers, producers, music. And it's amazing to see, you know, that happening within the Black community. And it makes me really excited, especially for like Quinta Brunson with Abbott Elementary and... yeah. It's so funny, it's so great and engaging and it's just so cool right. to see people win in that way. Yeah. Um and I think when it comes to the whole the whole of things going on in our country, what keeps me hopeful is that you know, you will always have people who are speaking the truth and um yeah. who are committed to justice and equity and they won't give up. They won't stop speaking and they won't um give in, they'll keep resisting. They'll, you know, keep, yeah. you know, pushing forward. And I think that gives me great hope because the fight is never over. Nobody's giving up. This is just, right. you know, it's just another day. It's something, different tactics, you know, different ways, same thing happening, but um, you still have plenty of people who are committed to justice and that's all kind of people of all different ethnicities. Yeah. And, um, and that gives me a lot of hope.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I. um, You remember that time? I it just when well, you just mentioned that about all the things that's happening in the arts, it reminded me of. I think I was being interviewed for something, and you were with me, and I, I I may have been on a podcast or something, and um, and I think someone asked me the question, and I couldn't. I was thinking about. They They asked me a question. You probably know. Exactly I think what I know what you're talking, talking about. about. Yeah, you said, you, you, they asked me a question about like what's happen do you feel like we're winning as it relates um like T V or something uh-huh. like that but because <laughs> I forget how the question was but you- hey <laughs> you were like and I was like, yeah, you know, but I don't watch a lot of those shows. I don't watch a lot of shows, TV. Like people know, I like w- watch feel good stuff, so it's very limited. And so you, and then I was like, well, no, this is still, you know, I don't know if we were like winning in that era completely. And you were like, wait a minute, we got the Black Woman Sketch Show. You got all this. You started. <laughs>
2: I was like, oh no, oh no! And I, was like, uh, I
0: <laughs> forgot about all that. No, I, it, it was it was in the back of my. I was like, oh, I don't even. I've never watched that show. I never watched <sighs> that show. but yeah. But there are so many things that are happening. So it is, you know, when we see things like we are so much further than um uh, what we were and, and and just seeing like you said like in the arts and the creative space there's so much happening um even in the entrepreneurship you know i'm just mm-hmm. you know i'm seeing you know even here in atlanta black developers you know um you know just all kinds of things that you're seeing um taking off you know so like <laughs> let me tell you just get just just get ready for a fight because let me tell you people we're not going backwards. We're not going to go backwards, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and there's something that this just ge- our generation and the, this next generation that we've learned from one another and we, that we've learned from from our parents. Well, well, no, it's not um, how people say it's it's not your your grandparents civil rights movement, but mm-hmm. it's 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 compounded, you know, with their wisdom. Um, and the fervor of the now generation and the hope and uh, of the, of the next generation. And so mm-hmm. I think with the combination of all those, you know, uh, people are not going down without a fight, you know, um, much wiser and, um, and much more connected to one another. I was just looking at all the education that's happening on, um, TikTok. I'm not on TikTok a lot. Um, I do have an account. I'm, I'm getting it, I'm going to get it better one day. <laughs> But I was just looking um, at this um uh, asian American young lady who does a lot of educating on the um the tension between the black community and the asian community and she gives a lot of voice to understanding um the anti blackness uh within the asian American community and the history of that and where that comes from um going back to nineteen sixty four when the um the civil rights um uh, um Uh, Act was passed and then the Immigration Act and um, how they were able to get loans, but not in white communities, but they can get the loans um, as Asian-Americans in the Black communities and the Black people could not get the loans, you know, to, to, to have stores and stuff. But I'm just saying like all this education that's happening, there's no reason for anyone to be ignorant, you know, because there's a lot of things and, you know, these are things that you can that are Googleable or, you know, in history books and and all these things. So, um, so as we depart, faith, uh, you know, what, what are something, what is something? So we talked about, you know, the lament, the hope, what is something that's bringing you joy in this moment right now and this, in this season right now?
2: So I would definitely say that something that's bringing me joy is just enjoying my husband and my dog, you yeah. know? Um, <laughs> right. Our little family just, you know, brings yeah. me so much joy. Um, and just having all kind of different adventures together, um, it's been really special. And I live like fifteen minutes away from my niece and nephew, and I just love them so much. They yeah. they always bring a smile to my face, and they want a dog, but they can't have one yet. So they told <laughs> me that Kobe's the family dog, um, right? And I said, yes, right. Kobe's the family dog. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> I just feel like the simple the simple pleasure of being able to right. be near my family and enjoy life together. It's just really special. I don't I don't take this for granted and um we'll never get this time back and i um yeah it's just you know who knew who knew having a matchmaker autumn i know right cough um (laughs) would uh would change my whole life and it's been it's been really great
0: yes we have a matchmaker within on the be the bridge team um that has has um This matching people all across the world. People probably are saying, what about, uh, well, she met, she, nah, she, nah, nah, she, she ain't ready for me. She's not ready for me. But I'm um, um, so grateful for you. So grateful for your bo- voice. The book is called Remember Me Now by Faith Brooks. Um, we'll have all the things in the show notes. So Faith, thank you so much for joining us on the Be The Bridge uh, podcast. It was great to see you and to hear you. Um, tell your your niece and nephew, I know they are like big now. What are the ages now? What are their ages?
2: Aiden just turned six and he is oh four. I'm going to his birthday oh party today day so yeah oh, okay it's crazy it's okay did
0: I said happy birthday they are growing up um, so you have a good one and thank you so much thank you
1: thanks for listening to the be the bridge podcast to find out more about the be the bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community go to be again that's be the bridge If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer.
2: And transcribed by Sarah Knapser.
1: Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.